This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. And go for Mike Slater in 3, 2, 1. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, Slater's America's greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. Um, A couple things to be excited about. We'll talk about the debate in a second, but uh, so I'm going to be a dad in, in less, any day now, less than two weeks. So I don't know if I, I've mentioned that much, but um, I'd love it if if you have any advice for a new dad, if you could shoot that over to me, that'd be awesome. Uh, you can leave a, a message on our Facebook page, search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook. If it's less than 140 characters, you can leave it on Twitter, Slater Radio on Twitter. Just advice for, for a new dad, new mom, new family. Uh, whatever you got, we're taking it all in and I'm uh, creating a little, little, uh, little anthology here, a little, uh, little, little book of, of, of pearls of wisdom from awesome conservatives across the country. So search for the Mike Slater show on Facebook and uh, Slater radio on Twitter and leave your advice. I would love that. So that's coming up, which is cool. But before that, got the debate on Monday. Well, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. So here's why Trump's going to win. We'll, we'll talk more details a little later. Um, this analysis, and I'm going to do it real short, is because we are very irrational people. And, and most people who are going to watch this debate really have not been paying attention to anything the last year and a half or ever. But it, it's so hard to believe that people have not been paying attention. But I'll prove that in just a second. But here's why most people will think Trump won the debate. Are you ready? Because Hillary... Is five foot four and Trump is six foot two. And you're thinking, Slater, well, that's stupid. Who, why would that make a difference? Well, let me let me throw this fact your way. The average height of a male in America is five foot nine. It's the average height of a male. The average height of a CEO is six feet tall. Why? Why are CEOs taller? Why are the average CEOs taller than the average man? Because we irrationally, irrationally think that tall people are smarter, more competent, more powerful, more impressive, more presidential. Now, if you're if you're laughing or you're rolling your eyes, you're saying that's, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. If you think that's so stupid, then why would Hillary ask the debate commission for a step stool? 
if Trump being so much taller than her was was did not have any optics, any effect on optics whatsoever, then why would they even ask for a step stool in the first place? They did, and they were denied. So when they walk out, they're going to be standing next to each other, and subliminally, subconsciously, people are going to see those two standing next to each other, and the taller person people will think is more presidential. And then throughout the entire debate, they're going to be standing behind their podiums, and Trump is going to tower over her. It will make a huge optics difference now no one after the debate is going to say oh well trump won the debate because he was so much taller like no no one will say that no one will will know that that's why they thought trump uh was more presidential but they'll say stuff like oh i just you know i think he he just came across more you know he looked more he it felt more like it'll be like that but it'll really be because he's taller not even kidding all right now i want to prove because i i may have lost some people even when i said uh you know most people don't pay attention and haven't been paying attention. You're like, how can that possibly be? Like, here you are listening on, on a Saturday afternoon or <laughs> on a podcast any other time during the week. You're like, how can no one be paying attention to this election? There was a Gallup poll last week. It got, some things got a little bit of news. I think this poll should have gotten a lot more attention. But um, anything I did see about it was about what I'll tell you about in a second. But there was another part of this poll that I thought was way more fascinating so the very first question they asked people this was not registered voters it wasn't likely voters it was just americans just regular people gallup poll the first question off the bat have you read seen or heard any information in the last two months about hillary clinton have you read seen or heard anything about hillary clinton let me ask you, have you seen, read, or heard anything about Hillary Clinton in the last two months? <laughs> okay, obviously the answer is yes. You want to know how many people said no? 27%. 27%. 27 of people said, who? Oh, no, I haven't. I don't know. who. Oh, Hillary Clinton. Yeah, I remember her. I don't. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen anything about her in the last. I don't know. It's been years since I've. <laughs> what? Who is that person? Who is the person who's like, no, I don't. Uh, I, yeah, she was the first lady, right? Wasn't she the first lady? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, recently I haven't heard anything about her. What are you talking about? Three out of ten people don't know anything. <laughs> ah. So you pay it so I don't know if it's frustrating or just fascinating that, that you pay so much attention to this stuff, so much attention. And most people, not most, but three out of ten, way more than I thought, don't know nothing. And I was thinking why the press, why pundits don't tell you that no one's paying attention. I say that a lot. I say it a lot. That's why we talk about the echo chamber. Like we're in the echo chamber right now. We got to get out of the echo chamber and the candidates have to get out of the echo chamber. So we talk about the fact that most people don't pay attention. Like Bill O'Reilly, he gets how many million people watch every day? I'll, I haven't looked it up in a while, but like Entertainment Tonight gets way more people. And <laughs> Jeopardy gets I feel like way more people are watching Judge Judy than, than O'Reilly. It's crazy. And I think the reason most people in media won't tell you that no one's paying attention is it's an like ego. Right, they want you to believe that like this is all that ever, anyone important is paying attention to this, and so are you. No, no, almost no one's paying attention. Almost no one. You are in a minority. And again, this is 27% of people who are like, no, I haven't heard anything. Some people are like, yeah, I've heard a little bit. Very few people are like, oh yeah, I, I, 
follow everything that's happening every day. Like you are in a very, very small minority. So why do I bring this up? There'll be about 100 million people watch the debate on, uh, on Monday. 80 million is the most ever in 1980. So we'll get about 100 million people. Most of those people who watch it, probably half, probably half the people who watch it are coming in with a totally different perspective than you. My wife and I, we've been watching uh, Homeland. Have you watched that show? Oh, it's awesome. We love it. Her brother was over the other day and uh, we watched an episode from season three. We just wrapped up season three and he's never seen an episode. So we watched this episode, the three of us, and he was totally lost, right? Obviously he had no idea who the characters were. He didn't know their backstories. He didn't know, you know, Saul, what, what, what's the deal with Saul? Like who's, why is Carrie weird? Who's Brody? Like, like the whole thing made no sense. That's the American people on Monday when they watch this debate. They're going to come into this debate and half the people watching will have no idea who the characters are. Any more than just beyond general perception. Okay. Most people will go on with a general, a general vague idea of who each of these people are. Oh, by the way, Trump wasn't much better. Have you ever seen, read, or heard anything about Donald Trump? 24% of people said, who? Trump? No, I don't. Trump. Is that pronounced it? Trump? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. who. 24%? Unreal. Okay. Next question. Of the people who have heard of, let's say Hillary, we'll start with her. What's the, what are the first couple words that come to mind to describe Hillary Clinton? You want to know the number one answer by far? Email. And then lie, scandal, pneumonia, foundation. That is, uh, that is bad brand awareness right there. That is, that is no good. No, there's no, no brand would be happy with those types of words to define you. It'd be like, uh, first, first words you think of when I say, uh, Pepsi, uh, poison, uh, E. coli, you know, obesity, horrible and and nasty right (laughs) wow that is we gotta do some marketing to change that perception so hillary has bad brand awareness email lie scandal pneumonia foundation those are the top five words holy cow you want to know the top five words for trump what would you think now here this is what's important we're in the echo chamber right we're in the echo chamber we're following this every day and we are following what the media is saying about donald trump every day so because we uh, we hear what the media says, I would guess that most people would say, oh, Donald Trump racist, Donald Trump bigot, Donald Trump Hitler, Donald Trump evil, Donald Trump hate, Donald Trump loud, Donald Trump arrogant. You go on and on and on. But that's only because we're in the echo chamber. Most people don't watch the media. Most people don't watch CNN. They don't. Most people, most people don't watch anything. They watch Dr. Oz. So they don't hear the media say all these horrible racist things you know, or say that Trump is a racist and all the rest. So what are the number one? What's the number one word to describe Donald Trump? Speech. It's weird. Uh, then President. 
And I said a couple months ago when Trump was rolling in the debates, I said, I bet there's a, probably 10% of people in America who think he's already president just because people you know, don't pay attention. Uh, number three, immigration. Number four, America. Number five, Mexico. Zero. There were no negative words stuck to Donald Trump. None. I saw the list of like 40 words. None of them were negative at all. It's amazing. So why does this matter? Yeah, polls are important. Um, and the ones that people pay attention to all the time, you're like, who are you voting for? Like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But I've never seen a poll that assesses what information people are absorbing on a daily basis. What, what are, what's your average person actually absorbing? People who aren't in the echo chamber, what are they actually hearing? Not just registered voters, just everyone. So when it comes to marketing and messaging, Hillary is losing that game big time. Because the words that people most kind of mind, email, and then pneumonia, and then lie, and then scandal. <laughs> people say Trump, oh, uh, uh, our speech, she gave a big speech the other day. Oh, um, president, presidential. Yeah, president. <laughs> That's what most people are thinking. So when those average people watch the debate on Monday, honestly, all he has to do is not be Hitler and uh, he'll win in a landslide. It won't even be close. Fired up. 1-888-933-93. Slater Radio on Twitter. I want to chat a little bit about Charlotte coming to Max. And later we'll talk more about the debate and, and what Trump really has to do and, and Hillary would have to do and all that stuff. We'll do that coming up. So glad you're here. 1-888-933-93. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. Mike Slater. Bill's dad advice, have your own diaper bag because you'll always know what's inside it. Mom may run out of stuff and you'll be the hero. Kendall, appreciate that. Always looking to be the hero. So I think that I think that's real nice. <laughs> uh, the manly diaper bag. I like that advice. Uh, let's chat a second here about Charlotte. I got a lot more to say. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe we'll do it later. Maybe we'll do it all now. I don't know. Um, black man killed by a black police officer. 
You know all the details. We don't know what to go over anymore. It's the it's the looting and the rioting that, that we have to chat. And I listen. I don't need to be chatting about. But that's when it's when other people like that's when the people in the in the Black Lives Matter movement, they're, they're the ones who need to be chatting about it. It does such a disservice, the rioting, the looting and all the rest to what might be a righteous cause to what could be in different ways, a righteous cause. And we got to learn from this, right? Let's use these as lessons. If there's ever a righteous cause that we're coming across and we need to get attention about, we're angry, we're, we're upset, we're distraught, we feel hopeless. Let's not get attention in inappropriate and unproductive ways because that only does a disservice to what we're trying to do. Gandhi didn't protest injustices in India by, by looting businesses. MLK never attacked police officers. He had a sermon entitled The Power of Love and he talked all about how uh, love needs to be preached. And he talked about how the point of protesting is not to humiliate, but to win over. He said the goal is not to defeat the white man, but to win friendship with everyone. He gave another sermon. He said, without love, nothing you do means anything. Nothing. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you're doing. It means nothing. He said, you can speak with the eloquence of angels, but if you don't have love, it means nothing. You can have the gift of prophecy and of knowledge, and, and you can be the world's biggest philanthropist. And you, he said, you can even die a martyr, but without love, it's all about feeding your ego. Everything you do is in vain. Even as a martyr, he says, your blood is spilt in vain. It's all about love. And until these protesters understand that, they'll never achieve anything, any of the righteous goals they might have. And honestly, if they understood this in the first place, then there may not be so many problems in the first place. There's a quote I put up on Facebook the other day. It's from MLK's I Have a Dream speech. It's wild that, um, you know, people quote, I have a, the I Have a Dream part, and people know that part of the speech, and that's like the 12th best part of the speech. Like that's, that's a, it's, it's good, but it's not even the best part. I made a video about this on Facebook. Um, and I knew, I knew that people would say, oh, Slater, you're just white splaining. You're white splaining here. In the Kaepernick video we made a while ago, which is 2 million views, by the way, the comments were ridiculous. Like I didn't say anything controversial in that video, nothing at all. But there's a ton of comments where people say, oh, how dare you tell a black man how he should spend his time and money or whatever. Like it's unreal. The bitterness and and i know there's people right now even listening who are saying oh slater you know who do you think you are telling black people uh what to do or what they should listen i'm not i'm just echoing a message from martin luther king jr the ultimate freedom fighter in world history put him in the pantheon there may be a couple others great ones up there obviously too but put him in the pantheon and he said in the eye of a dream speech he said in the process of gaining our rightful place. We must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity 
and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. That you degenerate into what's happening now. Again and again, we must rise. I love that part. Again and again. Not once, not twice. Again and again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. Let's do this a little later. I want to um, chat about the process that MLK took. So every protest, every place that Martin Luther King Jr. went, Birmingham, Atlanta, wherever, there was four steps that he took. First, gather information. You got to gather information about what, what happened, what's going on, what the, what's, what's happening. Then no one did that in Charlotte. All everyone knew is someone shot someone, that's it, right? Then you got to negotiate with the powers there. Who's in charge? Who's running the city? Who's running the show? Who's actually on the ground? Who, who's, what's, what's, who are we talking to here? Then the third most important step, I think, self-purification. And that's a process you got to go through. Later we'll talk about what that is. And then the fourth step is direct action. That fourth step is protesting and marching. What happens in Charlotte and Ferguson and all these other places is they just skip right to the fourth step without uh, getting information, without negotiating, without any self-purification. And nothing good is going to come from that when you just skip right to the end like that. There's no shortcuts in uh, these righteous movements. I'll talk more about it. one 888 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on The Blaze Radio Network. Slider Crusaders, in our last two Facebook videos that, uh, that we put up this week, we did a, we did a little, little social experiment in them, a little trick. wanted to see if my theory was right. So I'll give you the short of it. Uh, every video we post, anything we post, there's a couple people who must have our Facebook page on their favorites list or something. Wherever I post something, they write immediately something negative right like oh so you're an idiot blah blah and it's like whoa whoa, whoa. I, I posted a four minute video and you commented 30 seconds after i posted this like what are you talking like there's no way you watch the video so we put, we did a little trick in the last two videos to see if the, the the haters who respond all the time watched it or not and uh they fell for it perfectly <laughs> <laughs> it went could not have gone better to plan and you can see in the comments you'll see if you watch the video it's, it's in the end um you'll, you'll get the trick and then you just look at the comments and it is hilarious to see who who did not watch the video it's awesome so you can search for the mike slater show on facebook to check that out speaking of facebook and those guys um i got in the most absurd facebook conversation uh, about that quote that i shared uh, a second ago from mlk right in the process of gaining our rightful place we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds Pretty simple, right? Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. And now you've seen all the videos these last few days, and gosh, it's been like this for the last year or so. So Ryan wrote this. 
uh, saying stupid stuff like your comment solidifies my belief that Mike just plays to the lowest common denominator of listeners. His show used to be a lot better when he said smart, thought-provoking things. Now he just sounds like a dumb, drunk uncle ranting at the family reunion. So just so you know now, if you quote Martin Luther King Jr., uh, that's the same as you being a dumb, drunk uncle ranting at the family reunion, just so you know that now. George said, I suppose he's trying to link MLK's wise words to the stupid thievery of a Walmart while others protest. Not sure why. I guess he Google searched, found an important black leader quote, and used it to juxtapose the looting of a Walmart. And yes, Mikey boy, simply quoting MLK to mock black protesters is what you are doing. And yes, even drunk uncles can yank out their smartphones and Google search. Congrats. And he goes on. Whatever. You can check it out on the Facebook page. Here's the bottom line with this. This is why I don't understand the uh, craziness here. Or the attacks on our Facebook page. And, and, and not my, forget my Facebook the MLK quote. If I, and you, but if I hated Black Lives Matter. If I hated black people. If I wanted police to kill black people. And if I celebrated, as they say, open season on black people. Then I would want protesters to riot. I would want them to loot and burn buildings to the ground. That would be great. Because acting like that only increases hatred and hostility and bitterness and anger and death. And if those are things that I wanted, then I'd say keep it up. But I don't feel that way. And neither do you. So I quote MLK because he's a man of peace. He led a non-violent movement. which is the only way to lead a righteous movement. And I quote one of a million quotes that he makes on this point and make the argument, listen, Black Lives Matter, folks. People who have legitimate issues that we need to discuss, and we do. You better get those people in line. Not me, you. You better get them. I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll try, but you have to because they're hurting your cause. They're hurting your cause. You accuse me of, of hating black people. They're not hurting my cause if that cause were true. If, if you were right that I do hate black people, they're helping my cause. But if you want to get productive things done, they're hurting your cause. So what do you, like, what's the deal? You're attacking me because, oh, he's a racist. Sorry, there's a white splaining. He's a racist for quoting MLK. Well, what about the people who are not following the principles of MLK? You're going to criticize them at all? Or you're just going to criticize me? And if I was a racist, I'd love this violence. I'd love the looting. I'd love the, I'd love the chaos. But I don't hate it. Now, of course, and this is one of the, the common rebuttals that people make here. Uh, Slater, uh, not all the protesters are rioters. <laughs> of course not. Like, what the heck? You really think? Like, I'm not saying, I've never said such a thing. I'm not saying all the, all the violent people and the looters are all the protesters. Certainly not. Come on. I'm not characterizing the movement by the worst of it, but I'm characterizing the movement by the loudest of it. And if I were in the movement, I'd say, hey, knucklehead, knuckleheads, quiet down. <laughs> Shut, go home. 
We got actual things we're trying to accomplish here, and you're making it way harder for us. Yet I'm the bad guy. It's amazing. I, I, I've I've been. It's been really fascinating this last election, these last couple months, last year, I guess now, that people truly believe what they've already decided they're going to believe. It's amazing. I see it all the time. People believe what they've already decided they're going to believe. Another hater on our Facebook page, and not not that these are the only examples, but just on top of mind, uh, Monty, I uh, the Kaepernick video, right? So this is all I all I said in the Kaepernick video. My whole point was, hey Kaepernick, you know you kneeling, okay, great. Uh, you want to start a conversation like we have never had a conversation about this. Um, here are some productive things that we can do to actually help people. Because that, that was the whole video. Here's productive things, and I gave up four examples, four examples of groups that we work with on my local show that that help all types of people. Right. So, so, Hey, let's, let's do some more work. Like there was as genuine and uncontroversial as an argument as anyone could ever possibly make. And time and time again, you can check out the video in the comments. Monty's like, Oh, Slater, uh, you know, what, what do you, what do you really think? You know, what could really be done? Like you going to give any real suggestions or I'm like, dude, I just gave four. I mean, it's only a two minute video. Like I could give 24 if you want, but I mean, there's four. I mean, I'm sure there's millions of similar like things that, Right, but and then again, I'll ask again, Slater. What's a specific? So it's just an example, and I see it all the time of someone who has decided, already decided, not to hear what I'm saying or not to accept it. And then you can do with that. You can't stop. I mean, nothing you can. If they've already made that decision, that's it. I'll give an example that that we've all seen uh, last week. Trump was talking about behavioral profiling, right? Like they do in Israel. When you go to the airport in Israel, they only have metal detectors. You don't have to take your shoes off. You don't have to do all this goofy stuff. They just got your regular basic metal detectors. But what they have way more are people there ask. So so there are people walking around looking for anyone who looks a little shifty, right? Anyone who looks a little nervous, a little anxious, a little uh, wandering. And they'll go up and they'll talk to the person for a minute. Um, or an hour, and and just to just to see what ask a couple questions. Where are you going on? And uh, it's just and then if you know it's even you know they don't pass that test right and they get a little nervous looking, a little sweaty right? And they pull them aside and they're, so it's behavioral profiling. Trump was talking about behavioral profiling like they do in Israel, and CNN added racial to it, racial profiling. He didn't say racial, but CNN already decided what they thought of what he said. I already decided, even if he never said it. And what was it? Two weeks ago, they took a. Oh yeah, yeah. The um, uh, Hillary said, uh, "Yeah, the the bombing in um, in New York. It's horrible. It's tragic." And then, and thirty thirty three seconds later, the first uh, reporter said, "Hillary, what do you think about Trump using the word bombing?" And Hillary goes, "Oh, it's awful that for someone to use the word bombing." And, and it's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You just thirty three seconds earlier, you said it was a bombing, and now you're criticizing Trump for saying it's a bombing." Well, on CNN, they took out the first sentence where Hillary called it a bombing. So they took away words that Hillary said to make Trump look bad. And here they're adding words to what Trump said to make him look bad. So these are people who've already decided what they want to hear. Now, that's CNN, but everyone does it. Really interesting. So, I mean, I don't know. You can't... um, 
you can't have a normal conversation with someone who's already decided not to listen. You have to do different techniques. Um, and I don't know if it's worth even talking about that now, but you, there are ways to talk to that person, but it certainly can't be done on Facebook. That's for sure. One last piece of advice to, to black lives matter protesters. Um, you got to pick your martyrs. So Tulsa looked bad, but Charlotte's not your cause. All right. It looks like dashboard cameras show him walking towards the officers, the gun, blah, blah, blah. Um, you got to pick your martyrs, right? I mean, the officer in, in Tulsa, well, she was charged, right? She was charged with manslaughter or something. So that one looks bad. The officer in Charlotte was, by every account, absolute first class in every way, right? Wanted to be a police officer just like his dad when he was a little kid. Again, he's black. So no way did he go to work wanting to shoot and kill a black person. Like, like, like this is not the martyr you're looking for. You got to choose that properly, too. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Maybe I got a second next. We'll talk about um, the self purification process that MLK required everyone to go through. It's really interesting. They actually had like clinics that you had to go to if you wanted to be a student of Martin Luther King Jr. and if you wanted to protest. You didn't just show up and start protesting because if you do that without any self purification, you're going to degenerate into violence. So there was a process and training and practice that they did. We'll talk about that. It happened in Nashville. It's interesting. We'll do it next. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater, show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater, because I've got a few more minutes to chat about this. I promise we'll come back. And um, well, I actually want to talk about the, the Minnesota governor. Uh, this didn't get any attention at all. What the Minnesota governor did after his uh, after there was a terrorist attack in his state, very very bizarre. And I want to relate that to what our president did at the United Nations the other day, which is actually the topic of our most recent video on our Facebook page. Um, so I mentioned this in the in the two segments ago. Whenever a student wants to join a pro wanted to join a protest with Martin Luther King. Well, first of all, they had to sign a pledge. And I know Glenn Beck has talked about this before It's a 10 point pledge to join the nonviolent movement. The first point was meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. I don't see a lot of that in Charlotte, not a lot of Christ-like behavior. Also remember that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. I feel like there's way too much of a posture of winning and not only winning, but defeating the other side. Nothing good ever happens when, when the, when the goal is to win, when the goal is to defeat, that's true for marriages too, right? I remember that now that I'm saying this, I remember this is one of the first pieces of advice, um, that we got when we got married, my wife and I three years ago. Um, don't, don't win. It's not about winning. It's not about defeating the other person you're in it together. And we're all in this together as a country as well. So, so one group can't, can't look to win over the other side. It's never going to work. So there's a 10-point pledge, and there was also uh, a process, right? So anytime MLK went into a city, first step, information. Right? We've got to gather as much information as possible. Second step, 
We're going to negotiate with the powers. Who are the powers? Right? And what are, we, what are we trying to do here? What's exactly going on? So who's running the city? And not just in the city council and the government, but on the streets. Who, who's actually in control here? Third step, self-purification. Then direct action. What we're seeing in Charlotte and everywhere is just skipping right to direct action. There's no information. There's no, no negotiation. There's certainly no self-purification. Because if there was, there wouldn't be any violence. Because the people who go through the proper process, they stop people who are being violent. Right? They, 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 they get it at the pass. Before it erupts, the nonviolent people get out in front of it and say, whoa, this is not what we're doing here. And they take control. So when MLK was doing this, his students would go to Nashville. And there was a reverend from Ohio who went to Nashville. His name is uh, James Lawson. And the students would sit down and get accosted. They would get screamed at. This is all practice. And, and, and attacked and jostled and grabbed and just the worst and nastiest things. They'd be screamed in their faces trying to provoke them. And it was all practice to not react. It was to practice to not respond violently. Here's the, the, the mind shift. Violence is cowardly and lazy. Violence is cowardly and lazy. Nonviolence is brave and purposeful and difficult. It's weird. You know, you think, I think the world thinks that nonviolence is the easy thing, right? Because it's just neutral. I'm just going to not be violent, be neutral. But no, when, when faced with uh, situations like this, it's the nonviolence that's brave. It's the nonviolence that's difficult. And it's the violence that's easy. MLK knew that. All the civil rights, the real civil rights leaders knew that. And that's why principle number one, there were six principles of the nonviolent movement. And number one was nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. And we need someone to challenge these mostly young men from, who are protesting and say, listen, you're being cowardly and you're weak. Challenge them on that. And then direct it to a more positive in a more positive direction. It's the only way if you want to get something done productive. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater. Slater's America's the greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Now, um, we got to talk about last week. Isn't it amazing the terrorist attacks were last week? It's how fast news is old. That's stunning. I, I I really hate it. Politicians know it. They know they can do anything. And a day later, it's old news. It's wild. I mean, these were terrorist attacks in our country. And it feels like it was a month ago. So, I want to chat about the governor of Minnesota. This is what he wrote in a press release. He says... By the way, again, this is the stabbings, right? Ten people, I think, now is, is, the, is the the final number. Ten people stabbed by this terrorist. And the governor of Minnesota says, if true, 
that the stabbings were motivated by religious bigotry. I condemn them even more strongly. <laughs> did you see what he did there? Terrorism is religious bigotry. I don't, I don't think you can put that on par with religious bigotry, right? That's not the same thing. Let me keep going. We'll bring it all together. I ask everyone in the St. Cloud area and throughout Minnesota to rise above this atrocity and act to make religious and racial tolerance one of the ways in which Minnesotans again lead our country. I'm thinking, hold on, why, what, are you, what are you lecturing me for? Why, why are you lecturing the people of Minnesota? Rise above, what? Who, who needs to rise above? You're telling the people, of, listen, I ask everyone in the St. Cloud area to rise above. Why are you asking them to rise above? Gosh, the governor's acting like white people stabbed 10 Muslims. Like, what, what are you talking about? I don't need to rise above anything. I didn't do anything. And finally, there is no place in Minnesota for intolerance of all Americans' constitutional right to worship according to their beliefs. What? Again, this is a press release that, that would be written if a white guy or if a mob of white people attacked a mosque. Right? That's, <laughs> that's what this would be. If a group of Klan members firebombed a mosque then this press release would make sense. But that's not what happened at all. A terrorist stabbed 10 people and made sure to ask if they were Muslim before he did so. It is always, always about the, about the, the bad guys, right? They got it completely backwards. I'm so sick of being lectured, Especially about tolerance. I'm so sick of being lectured about tolerance. By the way, a little side fact here. Uh, the governor of Minnesota is named Mark Dayton. He's the grandson, I think, of the guy who founded Target. So he's in the Target family, and, and that family's all about making uh, bathrooms more tolerant as well. It's all about tolerance. I'm so sick of tolerance. Being lectured about it. I'm like, I'm fine. I, like, the people in Minnesota did not stab Muslim people. <laughs> They're plenty tolerant. Gosh. The other day, I talked to a uh, friend from Minnesota, uh, and I was asking him why. Uh, the reason, actually, the reason I first talked to this gentleman is uh, a couple months ago, there were ten, nine, nine or ten Somali Americans young men who drove from Minnesota to San Diego, where I live, to get fake passports. So they were going to drive across the Mexican border and then hop on a plane to Syria to fight for ISIS. And the FBI was following them the whole time, and there was a big uh, bust in a warehouse here in San Diego where they were getting their passports, the fake passports. So we talked about this back then because there was an amazing court case in Minnesota because it must have been... I think it was nine guys because six of them pled guilty and three didn't. So there was this amazing court case in Minnesota that no one paid any attention to at all with these three homegrown terrorists and all the evidence that they showed against them was crazy. And, and the courtroom was crazy too. There were fights. Uh, the brother of one of the guy, one of the, uh, the defendants uh, was kicked out of the courtroom, wasn't allowed to ever come back because he smuggled in scissors uh, and he was taking pictures of the elevator for some reason. And one of the 
girlfriends of one of the guys on trial beat up the mom of one of the terrorists who pled guilty in the courthouse or in the courtroom as if to say, how dare your son plead guilty and not fight these charges like my boyfriend is. That's what it was. It was crazy. And did you hear about this at all? It was a couple of months ago. Nothing. So we talked to this guy uh, and, and we talked a lot about why there are so many Somali refugees in Minnesota of all places. That's what this, this terrorist was. He was Somali origin. Why? Why? Why are there so many refugees in Somalia? And the answer is in the 90s, the Clinton team and the State Department located Somali refugees in Minnesota because they have the most generous welfare programs of any state in the country. And today, if you take all the Somali Americans in Minnesota and put them in one city, it'd be the third largest city in the state. This was as of last year. 40 men from Minnesota have joined ISIS. 40 men just from Minnesota have joined ISIS. What? This is from the Washington Times. Last year, an American youth named Douglas MacArthur McCain died in Syria fighting for the Islamic State. Mr. McCain was recruited in Minnesota where he lived. In 2009, another Minnesota youth, Troy Castigar, posted a recruitment video for Al-Shabaab before he was killed fighting for the terrorist group in Somalia. Those two were thought to have been friends. The same year, a Somali man who left Minneapolis joined Al-Shabaab, a terrorist group, and blew himself up in a suicide bombing at an Ethiopian consulate in Somalia, killing 24 people. What in the world? Did you know any of this? And this is, this is the best part, just to bring it back to the governor. This is the Washington Times. In an effort to better assimilate their refugee population and to deter against Islamic recruitment efforts, Governor Mark Dayton has what? What do you think the governor has done? Governor Mark Dayton, what do you think he's done? Because we have an assimilation problem here. We have clearly a, a, a terrorist recruitment problem going on in Minnesota. 40 in the last few years, 40 people have gone to join ISIS, have done it, haven't just thought about it. 40 have done it. And that doesn't include the 10 who tried, they got or nine who got arrested a couple months ago here in San Diego. So what do you think the governor's done to try to deter Islamic recruitment efforts? Give it, give it a whirl. Throw a couple ideas out there. What do you think he's done? Um, uh, incre- increased uh, FBI presence in mosques, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Who uh, Surveillance. Increased surveillance. Um, assimilation efforts. Maybe done some stuff in the schools. I'll just cut to the chase. He expanded the state's entitlement programs. So to stop terrorism, the governor says, well, let's just give them more money. Let's just give people more welfare. Unreal. Now, here's the truth. Those nine Somali Americans from Minnesota who were arrested in San Diego, they're all between the ages of 19 and 22, maybe 18 and 22. They had plenty of money. They all had jobs. They all had iPads and cell phones and nice places to live. They all went to school. They graduated somewhere in community college. They were fine. They were not poor and desperate. This idea that poverty breeds terrorism is not even entirely true around the world, although it's maybe more true around the world in different places, but it is not true at all here in America. For love of Pete, the San Bernardino terrorist, the guy worked for the county, and they all threw a baby shower for his wife. This is not not poverty-stricken. 
So more welfare is not going to do anything. These people are not desperate. They're not poor. They're not hopeless. More welfare is not going to solve anything there. The guy, the, the, the terrorist in Minnesota this last weekend, he had a job and he was going to the mall to pick up his new iPhone. That's what he told his family. He told his family, he said, hey guys, I'm going to run to the mall real quick. I got to go pick up my new iPhone. He wasn't, and his family was like, okay, see you later. His family wasn't like, iPhone? What? We don't have money for an iPhone. Like, it was totally normal for this guy to go buy a new $700 phone. Okay, so poverty's not the problem here. These terrorists have jobs, they're educated, they're middle class, they have plenty of hope for the future, but instead they choose to kill people in the name of Allah, and you need to rise above it all. You need to rise above. You need to be more tolerant. (laughs) You're the one who gets lectured to. Wow. All right, I want to talk about the president going to the UN the other day, his last UN speech. We made a video about this on Facebook, and I want to share part of it. Um... Part of what the president said up next. 1-888-933-93. Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. generation of talk radio this is mike slater i actually want to get to the president's comments at the un in the next segment hang tight for that one i want to do a little more background on on all this and i will segue from the terrorist attacks last week to to what he said at the un and it'll all make more sense um there's a town in germany smaller town that's been completely taken over by refugees uh especially the downtown like like town square area and the people there, the good people, they're saying, listen, we're okay with refugees. Okay, we, we can work through this. But this is chaos. It's chaos. And, and we can't, we, we got to figure this out. And the response from politicians and from the local media, there's, there's two responses. The first one is, what refugees? There's no, there's no refugees here. We're rel- relatively few refugees, if any, but there's, I mean, there's no, it's not a big deal. <laughs> and the people at the town say, well, what? What are you talking about? Have you been downtown? Like, literally can't walk. I'm not saying there's a lot of refugees. I'm saying you can't walk down the sidewalk. So then the next response is, uh, well, you're a racist. Okay, so it's, it's that response that's making people furious, right? It's, it's the spitting on your face telling you it's raining. It's the lying about it. And the people who are concerned about the refugees, they're not bad people, obviously. They say, listen, we're okay with this. We just got to figure this out. Okay, we can't have chaos. So why do I bring that up? It's very similar with this president and terrorism. He just, I'll just, I'll come right out with the punchline here. President Obama does not think that terrorism is a big deal. He just doesn't. Remember in 2010, uh, he said uh, that the U.S. could absorb another terrorist attack. This was, according to Bob Woodward, he was writing a book on Obama, and uh, this, is what, this is what Barack Obama told his, you know, his national security team and all that. He said, we can absorb a terrorist attack. We'll do everything we can to prevent it, but even a 9-11, even the biggest attack ever, we absorbed it and we are stronger. I have two years with the public on this. This is about uh, Afghanistan. 
I'm not doing long-term nation building. I'm not spending a trillion dollars. He told this to the defense secretary and Hillary Clinton. I want an exit strategy. Why? Because I can't lose the whole Democratic Party. Okay, so that's, he's just like, you know, we can absorb it. It's fine. I mean, uh, we don't want one, obviously, but it's, you know, it's not a huge deal. This is in April, so a couple months ago, in The Atlantic. They did an interview with Obama. Uh, I'm reading from the article. Later, the president would say that he failed to fully appreciate the fear that many Americans were experiencing about the possibility of a Paris-style attack in the U.S. Great distance, a frantic schedule, and the jet lag haze that envelops a globe-spanning presidential trip were working against him. Yeah, that's why. He didn't, he didn't recognize the fear that Americans felt after what happened in Paris because he was jet lagged. But the president has... But he has never believed that terrorism poses a threat to America, commiserate with the fear it generates. Even during the period in 2014 when ISIS was executing its American captives in Syria, his emotions were in check. I love that, right? The president doesn't really care, uh, and they call that his emotions are in check. Valerie Jarrett, his closest advisor, told him people were worried that the group would soon take its beheading campaign to the United States. Quote, they're not coming here to chop our heads off, he reassured her. And Obama frequently reminds his staff, frequently, not once or twice, frequently, that terrorism takes far fewer lives in America than handguns, car accidents, and falls in bathtubs do. So he genuinely just doesn't think it's a big problem. He says, listen. More people die in falling in bathtubs and no one freaks out. So why all the freak out here or the bomb here or there? What's the what? It's a big deal. It's not that big. It's fine. Gosh, even if we had another 9-11, our country's fine. We absorbed it. It wasn't like that's genuinely his attitude. One more piece of proof that they really they just don't care. White House spokesperson. It was just last week. He said, when it comes to ISIS, we are in a fight. And I read that. I'm like, oh, okay, good. A narrative fight with them. A narrative battle. End quote. A narrative battle? I don't even know what that means. One guy just stabbed nine people in the mall and the other blew shrapnel into 29 people. I don't think these guys are in a narrative battle. That's pretty. That's, I mean, that's action right there. You know what the narrative battle is actually between? It's between the White House and the American people. Because you know these White House guys, they had to come up with that line. Right? They had to sit around a table and focus group it out and brainstorm out a line. Say, okay, well, what do we tell the American people? What's going on? How about this? How about a narrative battle? Now, the narrative battle is between them and the American people. The American people will say, hey, can we call this for what it is? And the White House trying to step around it, sidestep around it all the time. It's amazing. They say it's in a narrative battle. Because they want to ignore reality. That's their PC term for, for terrorism. Well, it's not really terrorism. It's a narrative battle. What? I want to share a quick story about how this can infiltrate. How quickly and what it looks like. There's a Muslim woman, a practicing Muslim woman who works at uh, Scotland Yard. All right, so it's like the London Police Department. And she went to her superiors because she said there were Muslim men, Muslim male police officers, who were telling her that female genital mutilation should be allowed. 
like it like it happens a lot in um middle eastern countries african countries female genital mutilation should be allowed and then another police officer said that sharia courts should be used for domestic abuse accusations right only sharia courts not the regular court and then another police officer said the taliban should be in charge in unstable countries in the middle east all right we need the taliban so she's like what so she goes to her superiors and her superiors who i don't know but i'm thinking are white men probably who are terrified about being labeled as islamophobic told her not to report any more opinions of other officers so she quit she said she can't take it anymore not only the personal abuse she gets because she doesn't wear a hijab or because they tell her that she should be at home taking care of her husband could you imagine if uh you know white officers told that to a white woman you should go you should go home take care of your husband you shouldn't be doing this you shouldn't be a, you shouldn't be a police officer you shouldn't be working here you should be back in the home but it wasn't that she says it's just the general anti freedom anti-western values of the officers there so she quit it was just the other day is that a narrative battle and what do we do what do we do we, do we want people like that in our country people who hold those who hold those opinions i don't now listen i know we got bad people here that's a, that's a common excuse, right? When I'm like, well, listen, maybe we don't want people who want Sharia law to be immigrating into America. And people say, oh, there's a lot of bad people here in America. I'm like, yeah. Uh, so do we want more? Like, we got enough problems here. Listen, in, in, a, in a different planet, I'd like to deport those bad people too, but we can't, right? So we're stuck with them. So let's not bring in more bad people that don't hold our Western values. I don't want to say bad people, right? You can put your own judgment on it, but I'm going to say people who don't hold our Western values. And it's odd because... Well, it'd be nice if we had a president who stood up for those Western values. I want to come back. I'll share the clip of the president speaking at the United Nations and just saying some odd things that that no context makes better. But the conclusion of this last sentence, the president with terrorism really just just doesn't think it's that big of a deal. It's like falling in a bathtub. That's all. Mike Slater show the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Lighting for Saturdays. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. So um, this is Barack Obama at the UN. Uh, when I hear a quote like this, I always go to the original source and, and, and read the, the context, right? In this case, the whole speech. And there's really no context here that makes this make any more sense. The, the, the speech is a little, a little all over the place. Um, his, his speeches are usually more orderly and, and focused. This one is is less so. But anyway, th- this clip right here, it's it's truly, it's not, I, I don't, it's not like, uh, being unfair here with uh, with this clip here. There's nothing that makes this any better. Here's 1093. But we have to put our money where our mouths are. 
And we can only realize the promise of this institution's founding to replace the ravages of war with cooperation if powerful nations like my own accept constraints. Sometimes I'm criticized in my own country for professing a belief in international norms and multilateral institutions, but I am convinced that in the long run, giving up some freedom of action, not giving up our ability to protect ourselves or pursue our core interests, but binding ourselves to international rules over the long term enhances our security. Bind ourselves to international rules. Uh, powerful nations must accept restraints. Giving up some freedom of action. What's he, what's he talking about here? The, and, and honestly, it's, he's not clear. If you read the whole speech, he's not specific. Uh, it, it's, it's really vague beauty pageant world peace stuff. Honestly, if I had to guess what specifically he's talking about there about international rules and restraints and giving up freedom of action. I think he's talking about climate change stuff. He doesn't really say, but he doesn't say anything. Right. So I think he's talking about climate change. stuff. Do you remember John Kerry was in Vienna? This is a couple months ago. And, uh, he said air conditioner, this is a, at a climate change conference. Uh, and he said, air conditioners and refrigerators are as big as big of a threat to world peace as ISIS. Anything said, you took that out of context. Well, here's the quote. He said, it's hard for, this is John Kerry. It's hard for some people to grasp it. But what we, you are doing here right now is of equal importance. So the climate change stuff, it's of equal importance because it has the ability to literally save life on the planet itself. So it has of equal importance to ISIS because it has the ability to literally save life on the planet itself. What the heck? So Obama's probably talking about global warming stuff. But there's really no context. I don't think there's any appropriate context where giving up our freedom of action sometimes and binding ourselves to international rules and norms enhances our security. This is just like what we talked kicked off the hour with the governor of Minnesota telling the people of Minnesota to rise above, right? Rise above this atrocity and, and recognize people's rights to worship as if, you know, he's lecturing as if some white guy stabbed 10 Muslims. It's the same worldview between the, the governor of Minnesota and the president. It's the same worldview. Obviously, the president's a much larger scale. But it's the worldview that we are the problem, or at least a major part of the problem. And we need to rein ourselves in. Right? With the, with the governor of Minnesota, hey, white people, people of Minnesota, come on now, rise above. And the people of Minnesota are like, what? Do, what? Like, we, I didn't. Like how my part of the problem here? Hey guys, listen, we got we got to recognize people's rights to worship freely. It's like, yeah, uh, I didn't like we we do, and and they still like I still tried to kill a bunch of people. Like, right, but, but no, the governor of Minnesota in his world, if something bad happens, you are a part of the problem. It's same thing with our president, right? We are a part of the problem. We need to submit to international norms because if we don't. When we go rogue, things get worse. Bad things happen. And that's because of us. He goes on to talk about Russia messing around with their neighbors and China and the South China Sea. But still, it's us. <laughs> right? Like We need to submit to international norms. 
No, no, no. They need to. What about them? Nope. We are the problem. Now, listen, we can do things differently. We can improve. Of course, we're not perfect. But to suggest that we give up control for the sake of international norms because that would enhance security. I mean, no, again, that's a fundamental progressive belief that we in America are a force for bad. And it's the belief that a bunch of international bureaucrats know better than us what's best for us. It's, it's, it's the federal government on crack, right? It's just it's the same thing, just on an international level. Right? The president believes that the federal government knows better for you. A bunch of bureaucrats in D.C. know what's better for you than you do. So if that's true, well, let's take it to the next level. Why would not a bunch of bureaucrats in the U.N. know what's better for us than we do? Why not? If you believe that, then it's the same thing. I know it's hard to, to fully grasp because this is so different than what you believe, but let me just say this again. Uh, the, the left, progressives, the president, thinks that America is, um, when, we, when we act, we make things worse. It's the same mentality you see on college campuses that says our founding fathers are racist slave owners. Um, most millennials today think that America invented slavery. I'm not even kidding. Ask a millennial. Go do it. Next, next millennial, you know. They think that America invented slavery, and why wouldn't they? The only context they're given, first of all, they're not. No, no one's reading the Bible, right? <laughs> Which you would see some slavery in there, um, obviously. But uh, there's no, there's no historical context given to it at all, right? America invented. Slavery, uh, trail of tears, we're defined by that. All we do is oppress, right? That's what we do in America. We're just, we just oppress all the time. We are at our core evil. Now, if you believe that, if you believe that America's at our core evil, then it's not a hard leap to go from there to, well, maybe we should conform to international norms, right? Because, because we're bad and, and international norms are great. But you would never make that leap if you knew two things. First, that we are a force for good in the world. And not just us, but Western values. Western values are a source for good in the world and all people. And also, you wouldn't make that leap if you knew the truth that the norm for the world is awful. Right? <laughs> the norm for the world, the international norm, is poverty and tyranny and genocide and oppression and hunger and disease. International norm is awful. I want nothing to do with that. The international norm most certainly is not prosperity. That's what we get here in America. A couple days ago, uh, Floor called in. Floor uh, is a was a or is an immigrant, I guess, from uh, uh, Philippines. She came here in the late sixties. Ah, oh, she was amazing. She called in. She was so nervous, and I asked her a couple questions about her life about her childhood in the Philippines, about assimilating in America. Oh, she was beautiful. The words she spoke, oh, I'll never, I'll never be able to repeat them as beautifully. It was stuff like, Mike, um, ever, ever since I first heard of America, it was where I wanted to go. And I was a little girl and I could, I'd say, tell my other friends, I said, I'm going to go over those mountains. I'm going to go across the ocean. I'm going to live in America one day. And, and I said, Flora, what, what's, up, what's up with America? Why do you love it so much? She said, oh, I love it because you don't have to bribe police officers and politicians. 
She says, I'm, I'm an older lady and I can go to the grocery store in peace. I feel safe here. And then the third thing, you know what the third thing she said? And she goes, and Mike, I have three meals a day. Wow. That's not the international norm. I've told this story a million times. When I first started paying attention to politics, it was uh, during the Iraq War, 2003. And it was right in the beginning of Air America. Right? Just when I started paying attention to politics and talk radio and all this stuff. And Air America started. And I was listening to it and Janine Garofalo had her own show, I think. I think it was her show. I don't know. And it was her and a bunch of other dopes and they were talking about, oh, Slater, come on, that's not appropriate. Her and a bunch of other people. And they were talking about how they dream of America that has as much foreign influence as Sweden. I think they said Sweden. Sweden and Norway and even Switzerland, right? They, they just want, they wanted America to be an afterthought when it came to important things. They, they, didn't, want to, they didn't want to take a leadership role. And, and if, why would you if you think we just screw things up all the time? The human historical norm is poverty, death, disease, destruction, tyranny, genocide. Uh, America is, 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 we're not perfect, but we always try to be the opposite of that. Uh, we, we, were, we, we have the opportunity always to be a light, to be that shining city upon a hill. And the left wants to put America on a dimmer switch. And they believe that if we are put on a dimmer switch and we'd be a little less involved, a little less of a leadership role, a little less engaged, a little, 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 little less of ourselves. Only then can world peace be achieved. And that's what the president was trying to say there. We made a video about this on our Facebook page. You can search for the Mike Slater Show on Facebook and uh, please share that around. It's important what people, uh, that people know what our president believes about this. Hopefully our next president does an about face and goes the other direction. one 888 Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. Slater, Slater. I only got a couple minutes here. I want to come back with much more election stuff and, and, and debate prep. Some things to watch for during this debate. Uh, because you are astute and smart and care about the issues, you will focus on the words that the candidates say. But if you're married, you know that the words are not the most important thing of what people say. It's how they say it. It's the tone. So, yes, watch for the words. But you also need to listen to the tone. Because that's what most people are going to interpret. They won't know it. But that's what they will actually hear and listen to and respond to. It's not the words. It's the tone. So we'll talk more about that coming up. It'll make more sense. Um, But just because we're talking about Islam, Muslims... um, I read this article in Huffington Post. 
Headline, there were more anti-Muslim hate crimes last year than any year since 2001. So they went state by state and uh, talked about the increase in hate crimes against Muslims. So Minnesota up 37%, Tennessee up 66%, California up 122%, Texas up 128%, Muslim hate crimes up 128% um, since 2001. So here's the deal with uh, with with graphs <laughs> and and any report, any article you read where it only has the percentage increase in something. If they don't tell you the actual number of the thing they're talking about, in this case, hate crimes against Muslims, then they're hiding something. If all they do is tell you the percentage increase in something but they don't tell you the actual number of the thing, they're hiding something. If they just say, oh, it's, oh my gosh, the hate crimes against Muslims up 122% in California. Okay, how many? Because if there were, you know, one, if there was one hate crime last year and now there's two, that's a 100% increase. But it's only two, so what are we doing? So here's the number. In 2014 in America, there were 154 hate crimes against Muslims. This is according to the FBI, 154. Now that's 154 too many. But I think it's worth keeping in mind a little context here. That same year, 2014, there were 154 hate crimes against Muslims, but there were 609 hate crimes against Jews. So Jews are still victims of hate crimes like five times as much as Muslims. And really, 100 hate crimes in a population of 330 million Americans? And, and 330 million Americans, by the way, that were told are the most racist people in the history of the world? I mean, I don't know. I think it's too many, but that's not the worst, is it? And of all the hate crimes based on religion, Jews are victims of 60% of them. Muslims, 14%. Catholics, 6 so there's almost many hate crimes against Catholics. We are a kind country, a tolerant country, one of the most tolerant. Certainly, as with a ratio of um, how diverse we are to tolerance, right? I mean, like Sweden may be more tolerant, but they're not very diverse, right? So the ratio of tolerance or diversity to tolerance is off the charts here in America. Don't let people take advantage of our kindness and tolerance to our own detriment. And don't let people get away with telling you that you are not. one 888 right, coming up. How can, what does Trump need to do to win this debate? The answer is almost nothing. And what does Hillary have to do? Well, so much that it's impossible to do. And that's her fault. The short of it is, if you say for months that Donald Trump is Hitler and evil and dangerous, you've set it up so all he has to do on Monday is not be Hitler, and people will watch and say, oh, it seems seems fine. <laughs> and so Hillary set this up. We'll explain more detail next Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater in three, two, one. 
You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater's America's greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. So I kicked off the show with a quick little analysis on why most people will believe that Donald Trump won the debate. Let me say it again. Most people, when the debate is over, will say that Donald Trump won it. Why? Because he has the most detailed policy. Please. Uh, no one cares about that. Because Hillary is five foot four, and Donald Trump is six foot two. <clears throat> That's why. Now, no one's going to say, oh, I think Donald Trump won the debate because he's so tall. That's not it. But subconsciously, subliminally, they will think that Donald Trump looks more presidential because he is taller. The average height of a guy in America is, six, is five foot nine, but the average height of a CEO is six feet. Of the entire population in the country, 2%, or is it four? Two or 4%. I think it's two. 2% of men are over six foot two. That's it. But of CEOs, 38% are over six foot two. Well, what gives? It's because we irrationally think that tall people are more powerful and more competent and smarter and dare I say, more presidential. Now, if you're rolling your eyes and thinking I'm an idiot, okay, but if this wasn't true, then why would Hillary ask the Presidential Debate Commission for a step stool? Okay, obviously, she knows the optics are terrible. Otherwise, she wouldn't ask for a step stool in the first place. So the moment Trump will win the debate is in the first three seconds. When they stand, they shake hands in the middle and they, they stand next to each other and they wave to the crowd. And people will look at that and say, oh my gosh, he, he, like, they, he won't say it out loud and they won't even know it. But they'll, you, they will subliminally look at that and be like, oh yeah, he looks way more presidential. We've done this before. There's tons of studies that judge how quickly we judge a person's face. And it's about a tenth of a second. So I'll give it three seconds in the debate. And the other 89 minutes and 57 seconds is just watching for things that reinforce the original conclusion that we made in the first three seconds. So most people will say, oh, he looks more presidential. And then the rest of the 90 minutes is looking for things that reinforce the judgment that people made in the first three seconds. So they'll look for things that made him more, made him look more presidential because that's the initial assessment that people made when they looked at Trump standing next to Hillary. So the debate will be in, be over that. Now, of course, there's an asterisk there. If, it, if it's, you know, Trump says something absurdly awful and ridiculous, well, then things can change. But if he just plays it neutral from that point forward, he'll win and look more presidential. So Jane Goodall, monkey lady, she wrote, in many ways, the performances of Donald Trump remind me of male chimpanzees and their dominance rituals. In order to impress rivals... Males seeking to rise in the dominance hierarchy perform spectacular displays, stamping, slapping the ground, dragging branches, throwing rocks. The more vigorous and imaginative the display, the faster the individual is likely to rise in the hierarchy and the longer he is likely to maintain that position. Now, this article in Huffington Post was meant to be an insult to Trump. Right? They're saying, oh, like Trump's stupid like a monkey. I don't know if that's necessarily what Jane Goodall meant, but I read that and I say, mm-hmm. 
yeah, Trump's appealing to the natural instincts of human beings too. Because we all do pretty much the same thing. Uh, the first sentence of Jane Goodall was, in order to impress rivals, uh, men do that. <laughs> men do things to impress rivals. Uh, have you been to a gym? Been to the weight room recently? You want to see a bunch of men trying to impress rivals? That's a pretty good place to observe. This morning, my buddies and I were playing this is a silly game. It's called spike ball. We were playing it on the beach. And whenever people walk by and watch us, we're always like, oh, yeah, try to try to put our best foot forward, right? We puff our chest out a little bit, right? If there's an athletic something going on, right, everyone tries to do well. But if it's on video, it's oh, yeah, I got to look a little better, stand a little. T- I mean, listen, we all try to impress our rivals. The same thing. We don't drag branches and slap our hands on the ground. That's what the monkeys do, right? We, <laughs> but it's the same instinct. So same thing with Trump. He's not literally dragging branches and slapping the ground, but he does things that help him rise in the dominance hierarchy. You want to know one way he does it? Flying around in a giant plane with his name on the side of it. that's, That's a human being way to show prestige and dominance. Someone called into my local show the other day and asked about Hillary Clinton doing press conferences in the back of her new plane. So I think she got a plane like two or three weeks ago. And that's when she started doing press conferences with, with the press in the back. So this guy called in and wanted to know my thoughts on that. And I, th- I think my initial thought was it's good for Hillary to do it that way, to do press conferences that way. Right. So imagine the scene you got, I don't know, 20 press people all huddled in the way back of the plane, little tiny seats, right? You know, you can't stand up all the way, all crammed into each other. And Hillary walks back there and stands in a dominant position, right? She's standing in front of everyone and she's in control. And the other good thing for her is that if she needs to leave because she's in the coughing fit or something, which happened once, she can just turn around and go, right? She can be like, "Oh, turbulence!" And like, or, or you know, have one of our people be like, "Hey, the captain says we all need to sit down now." She's like, "Okay, everybody, gotta go," right? So she has a quick out, a quick exit. If she's doing a real press conference, like on ground, uh, then there's not a quick exit, but there is in a plane. So for her, it's smart because she's in total control in a dominant position, and the press is in this basically trapped cage in the back of the plane. Now, for her, it's good, but the optics of it are very bad, especially lately. Uh, She looks tired, obviously, but besides her, the optics are very low rent, low rent. It's a it's a normal looking plane on the inside. She stands in, in between the divider, right? You know, like a divider between coach and first class. They have like the divider with the curtains and stuff like that. So she's standing like between that and on the divider are two campaign signs taped to the wall. And it's just like the signs that you would hold up at a rally, right? And they're just taped like a little bit askance on the, on the divider. <laughs> and it, the lighting's awful. It just looks, it looks unappealing. It just looks like a plane. And then you have Trump's plane. Now he doesn't have press conferences on it, but you know, he'll tweet out pictures of him, you know, eating a Big Mac in the plane. And he's in a private jet. I mean, it's a huge 747 or whatever it is, but 737, but um, 
on the inside it looks like a jet so he's in these giant reclining seats and Everything's gold trim and super luxurious. And he's sitting there at, at, in front of a table. Have you noticed that too? Whenever they show him in the plane, he's always sitting in front of a table, a big wood table, which is the place where business gets done. The pinnacle of wealth today is a private jet. I think that's true. I think the pinnacle of wealth is a private plane. Not riding on a plane like Hillary's doing. A giant empty plane, which is, it's also weird because when you, when you have Hillary in the shot, like there's all these empty seats behind her. It just, it looks odd. Trump is in a private jet, his. So what do you think looks more appealing? Do a little side-by-side shot, which we are doing in our brains. A little smart side-by-side shot of Hillary in her plane and Trump in his. Which screams prestige and leadership more? And to bring it back to Jane Goodall, which impresses the rivals, which are in this case, the voters. Obviously, someone with a private jet. These are the ways that people actually make decisions. I, I, I know it's, it's kind of an uphill battle these last couple of weeks as I've been trying to convince people that we're not rational and people make irrational decisions. You are. You're rational and more so when it comes to politics because you pay attention to this stuff a lot. But most people are wildly irrational. That's why Trump going on Dr. Drew was so smart. Because most people after watching Trump on Dr. Drew said, well, he seems, seems like a nice guy and... Um, has some good ideas, right? <laughs> That's it. That's how people make decisions. Now, should we make decisions based on, you know, who to vote for president based on their plane? No, of course not. Absolutely not. I like Donald Trump because he has a nicer plane. No, that's, that's dumb. But as Jane Goodall said, the more vigorous and imaginative the display, the faster the individual is, ri- is likely to rise in the hierarchy. That's what the plane is. By the way, to go back to height and the, the silliness of those optics, James Madison was five foot two. James Madison, the guy who wrote the Constitution, five foot two. No way he would be elected president today. Not a chance. What a shame, right? Stupid that we make decisions like this, but it's the way it is. I think it was about nine months ago I... I uh, Introduced a word that we've since talked a lot of uh, a lot about when it comes to Trump, um, and I said, as this again, this is during the primary still. I said, Trump, as the weeks go on, and we're getting closer now, he is going to increase his prestige. And I'll throw that word around a lot: his prestige. And my first glimpse of this, and and how much the media doesn't get it, was a couple months ago, and the media said Donald Trump taking a break from campaigning to open up his new championship golf course in Scotland. <laughs> I said, no, he's not taking a break from campaigning. That is the campaign. The campaign is, hey, everyone, look at my championship golf course in Scotland. That's prestigious. Hey, everyone, look at my brand new hotel in D.C. Under budget, head of schedule. That's prestigious. His rallies held in airport hangars. Why? Because there's no better place to give a speech? No, because how about the excitement of Everyone's standing there in the airport hangar with a plane arriving. He walks out of the plane, gives a speech with his plane behind him, and then gets back on the plane and leaves. It's master stagecraft. You'll see more and more prestige. Trump's first 30-second campaign ad, I don't know if you've seen it yet on the TV, probably seen it on the internet. It's hilarious. I mean, it's all prestige. It's all big buildings. It's all... uh, It even says, Donald Trump, businessman. Oh, what is it? Um, It's businessman... Oh, I forget the second thing. 
It's 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 something as simple as Donald Trump. Oh yeah, Donald Trump, businessman, builder, success. Right? <laughs> it's like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, but it's just like big builder, f- strong, powerful. I mean that it's all that. And you're going to see more and more of his buildings in the next 50 days, especially or 40 days, whatever we got. Uh, especially as we get closer and closer to the end, you're going to see big, beautiful pictures of city skylines with the names of his buildings on it. The Vegas debate, it's going to be all about his Trump building in Vegas. It's all about prestige. And what does Hillary have to increase her prestige? What, the Clinton Foundation? I mean, like, nothing. So that's how people make decisions, and uh, that's one reason of many that Trump is going to win. one 93 Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is... Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater is on. Let's see if I can pull up. This post, where was it? Do, do, do. Here it is. Um, all right, so let's talk about the, the debate and what each candidate has to do. So, uh, this is Edgar. So, Edgar's one of our, our, our resident Slater haters on the Facebook page, but he's 100% right on this one. He says, This is what Hillary has to do in order to win the debate. First, she can't make mistakes or show any signs of illness, she can't come across as condescending and must use language that connects with the working class. She must stay on message and emphasize key differences between the two. She must bait Trump so he attacks her personally. She must smile and look happy at all times. She must not get into the nuts and bolts of policy. She must use generalities but be factual at the same time while using simplistic language. And she must wear a black suit. Optics matter. As for Trump, all he has to do is look normal, speak in generalities, and not attack personally while looking humble. He can lie and make things up because he has a low bar and can get away with just about anything. Uh, mm-hmm. That's that's about right. 100%. Now, I would say that Clinton's team is, is, is at least partially, if not mostly, to blame for setting the bar so low for Donald Trump. For months, all we've been hearing about is how he's Hitler. So all he has to do is not be Hitler. And he'll seem normal. Well, who's to blame for that bar? Well, Hillary set that bar where it is. So Trump's got to not be Hitler and he'll win? What a great deal. So he'll he'll win this by just a mile. I'm not even 100% convinced Hillary's going to make it through the whole debate. Just to stand the whole time. Um, this is Huffington Post uh, last week. Why Hillary lost the election. A preliminary obituary. Wow. So, so the left is already coming to terms with this. Already coming to terms. Uh, and here's another. This is uh, Marty Kaplan. He's a professor at USC in the communications department. Trump wins first debate. This was a couple of days ago. Uh, let's see. Here's why he says Trump wins. The bar for a successful Trump performance has been set so low that when Trump doesn't punch Clinton, it is acclaimed as evidence of his presidential temperament and general election pivot. Trump wins. Trump will attack Clinton. Clinton will defend herself. The verdict, Trump was strong. Clinton was on the defensive. 
and people want strength, Trump wins. The moderator, Lester Holt, will call Trump on a lie. Trump will heap scorn on Holt, NBC, MSNBC, the Commission on Presidential Debates, and the corrupt, dishonest media. Gallup says trust, uh, trust in the media is at an all-time low. People will love Trump's attack on Holt. Trump wins. Uh, and this is the last line. You get this one. Trump and Clinton will go after each other. Blah, blah. Uh, it's a tie. But the Beltway consensus is that Clinton needs to win. Trump just needs to tie. So a tie is a win. Trump wins. All that's true. But let me take it up a notch. Not only did Clinton set up Trump to be successful, but I think Trump org- uh, orchestrated all of this. Remember the whole Megyn Kelly co- uh, tr- controversy? Donald Trump and Megyn Kelly going at it. Right when that happened, I thought, why Why is Trump going after Megyn Kelly? Why would you go Megyn Kelly? She, like, she's awesome. Everyone loves Megyn Kelly. Conventional wisdom says you buddy up with Megyn Kelly. Why would you why would he go after her? Why? Because everyone loves a good redemption story. He knew what he was doing the whole time. Trump is a storyteller. Right? This is his reality TV side. He intentionally created conflict and drama. Created a build up to the next Fox debate. And then like all good stories, a redemption moment and a happy ending with Trump being featured in Megyn Kelly's hour long special and his big love fest and everyone wins. He played all of that to his advantage, all to get attention and then come out looking magnanimous and, and wonderful in the end. That's a microcosm. What he did with Megyn Kelly for his entire campaign. And that's how he set up this debate and these the expectations for him right not only is hillary calling him hitler but but he has created this perception that he's uh crazy unhinged and all this so now everyone's gonna grade him on a curve this was what why he went on dr oz a couple weeks ago and there's this perception that he's nuts and he's dangerous and he's loco and he'll say anything and he's rude and, and arrogant and all this and then he goes on Megan on uh, Doctor Oz, and and he's totally normal, and his and his wife, his daughter's there, and she's amazing. And the Doctor Oz audience, they're not the normal political audience, so all they're just kind of like hearing things about how evil Trump is, and they see Trump, and they're like, oh well, he's he was really nice and had really good ideas. What that person really means to say is he's nicer than I expected, and better ideas than I expected. Because for months, everyone's been saying that he's so he's not nice and has no idea. And I think Trump orchestrated all of this. Because in business, all he does is gain leverage and create storylines to get the deals he wants. Art of the deal, he just goes up deal after deal with ways he um, figures out what makes the other guy tick and then plays on that to get the deal he wants. So no doubt Trump's going to win the debate. He can't not. And really, I'm not even sure if Hillary's going to show up at all. Maybe that's the only way she can win. Pure pity. We'll chat more about this next. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network.
This is Mike Slater. Slater Costello, let's tie a couple of things together that we've talked about here in the last uh, two and a half hours together. Um, so while everyone across the country, every state, city, whatever, trying to raise the minimum wage, South Dakota looking to lower it. So anyone under 18, this is my understanding of the bill, anyone under 18, they want to lower the minimum wage from 855 to 750. So lower it a dollar. And this is because the teenage unemployment rate is so high. It's high everywhere. Because no business will hire a teenager who has no experience and is generally difficult to employ, unreliable and all the rest. It's, I mean, there's no experience and they don't have the life skills and job training skills and all that, right? Um, no one's going to hire that teenager for 850 It's too high. So the teenager then doesn't have a job. But they're more likely to do it for 750 So good on South Dakota for doing that. Smart. I mean, really, there should be no minimum wage at all. But, you know, we'll, we'll take what we can get here. Because if they pass this and the teenage unemployment rate goes down in South Dakota, then, then hopefully uh, other states can, can pick up on that. I read another article in the Huffington Post about the wage gap between black people and white people. And it's the same thing. The, the, the biggest reason for that wage gap, other than educational differences because of our absolutely failed public school system, the biggest difference because of that wage gap is the minimum wage. So here's how it works. Lower skilled and lower educated people are less likely to ever get their first job because the minimum wage is too high. So as the years go on, the wage gap between the person who doesn't work at all and the person who continues to work and work and work and work and work gets bigger and bigger. Let's make it as clear as possible. Let's take uh, Jim and Jerry. Jim and Jerry. Uh, Race doesn't matter here at all. But let's say Jim is black, Jerry's white. So Jim went to a terrible public school. Terrible, awful public school. So he's got a bad education and, and low skills, and he's got bad soft skills. Came from a broken family, doesn't look people in the eye, doesn't show up on time, all the rest. His labor is, is worth $7 an hour, right? Whatever he does for a business, it's worth $7 an hour. But the minimum wage is 8 So that means every hour that he's employed, the owner loses a dollar an hour that doesn't make any sense so jim's not going to be employed jim no job no job for jim jerry went to a better school right he's got a little better education uh, a little more discipline all the rest. his labor it's worth eight dollars an hour not much more but a little bit more so he'll be paid eight dollars an hour because it's worth eight dollars an hour a year goes by jim still has no job he has no more experience than he ever had but jerry he does have he's a year of experience so he gets a raise. Now he's making $9. Well, the wage gap between those two just went up. The wage gap was 0 to $8. And now it's 0 to $9. Ooh, wage gap getting worse. Another year goes by. Jim still can't find a job. And why would he? He's not suddenly employable. He still doesn't have any experience and all the rest. But Jerry, however, he keeps working. He keeps showing up. And actually, the person who was above him quit. So Jerry got a promotion. Now he's making $13 an hour. The wage gap just got even worse. And it goes on and on like this forever. Now, let's say there was no minimum wage. Well, then Jim could get that first job at $7 an hour. Jerry would get it at 8 So there'd be a dollar wage gap. But then a year would go by and both would get a dollar raise. And now the wage gap is still a dollar. And another year would go by and 
let's go worst case scenario because we live in such a horrible racist country. Let's say Jim doesn't get a raise because he's black, but Jerry does another dollar. So what's the wage gap now? $2. Okay. It's better than $13, which is what it is now because Jim never got a job in the first place because of the minimum wage. So the reason the wage gap keeps getting worse and worse, and it will only get worse, is you got to trace it back to the beginning of the employment. It's, it's all based on the ability of someone to climb onto the first ring of the ladder. And if you make that impossible, if you make getting on the first ring impossible, no one will ever get to the second ring. Right? If you, don't make, if you, don't, if you make it so someone can't get on the first ring, but someone else can, and they keep climbing the ladder and the other person can't because they never got on the first ring, well, who, who do you have to blame for that? Well, you have the people who took out the first ring of the ladder, and that's the minimum wage. That's why the wage gap exists. So anyways, good on South Dakota for doing what they're doing. Hopefully other states and cities follow suit. Now, we just had a story there about uh, racism. Let's do a story about sexism. Why not? Because everyone listening now, we're either racist or sexist, right? Or both. Obama president says Hillary is not winning because of sexism. America, he says, uh, we, we are biased against powerful women. Quote, there's a reason why we haven't had a woman president. We as a society still grapple with what it means to see powerful women. And it still troubles us in a lot of ways unfairly. <laughs> wow. Uh, I, I wildly disagree. I think in America, we value powerful women. And the president's got it backwards. Uh, Hillary's not a powerful woman. That's, that's the thing. She's not, 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 not in a noble way. I mean, she's powerful because of her position, right? Secretary of State makes you, by definition, powerful. But she's not a, a commanding woman. She's not a powerful, strong woman. She's a conniving, untrustworthy woman. You can't be powerful if you're untrustworthy. I, I totally believe that if there were a female version of Barack Obama, this, heck, you know what? If Michelle Obama was running, she'd probably win the election. She's a strong woman. I, I don't think anyone has a problem. Right? So she, she could, if Oprah was running, <laughs> whatever, right? There's no, we don't have a problem with strong women. Hillary's not a strong woman. She's a female version of the worst person you know. So it's not that she's a female, it's that she's Hillary. I'll give you an example here of how the, the we the lack of sexism in America, even though we're supposed to believe that that's again racist and sexist. Um, doctorates, doctorate degrees. Last year, for every 100 males who got a doctorate degree, 107 women did. Doctorates for master's degree for every 100 men, 140 women. Wow, way more women are getting graduate degrees than men. Way more. I mean, they're powerful women who are doing that. Is there discrimination against them? I mean, I don't, they're getting their degrees. If anything, you can make a case that there's a disparate impact against men in graduate fields. If anything, there's female overrepresentation in graduate school. Now, I think it's just fine, and I don't think anyone needs to do anything about it at all, but uh, we could start with just stop complaining that we're a sexist, racist country. But again, it's just more desperation. When the pre- when uh, 
Hillary brought up the birther thing the other day. It was last week, I guess. And then a couple of days ago, she brought up, oh, Trump's a misogynist. And now here's Obama. Uh, yeah, Obama's saying everyone's misogynist. <laughs> right? These are just desperate ploys. Trump's latest campaign ad never mentioned Hillary once. And all Hillary can do, go to her Twitter page. Let me see if this is still the case today. Uh, Last week, I looked at it. Every single tweet was about Trump. Yeah, okay, here we go. Um, We all know too well who Donald Trump is. Let's make sure he never becomes president. Uh, Retweet if you believe that love trumps hate, which is the dumbest slogan ever because it actually has the person's name on it. Donald Trump doesn't see people like Anastasia. He only sees disability. What? Um... If you if the young people in this country have Donald Trump as the president, what would they think of themselves? It goes on and on. Every single quote's about Trump. Every single tweet. What's wrong with her? Could you imagine if Coke's Twitter page, every single p- tweet was about Pepsi? So Trump's just got a... And these last couple uh, weeks here, just pivot as he's doing. Keep it going. He'll win in a landslide. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. We'll continue in a moment. On the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Mike Slater. Hello, Slater Crusaders. Uh, we've got a few minutes here, so... Um, I want to bring back around something I never, I didn't get a chance to talk about uh, when we kicked off the show talking about Charlotte, because uh, who knows again what's going to happen tonight with more protests and what's going to happen next week with the next whatever. So the big point is we talked a lot about MLK and MLK whenever he did uh, went to a city, whatever. There were four steps: first, gather information, as much information as possible. They certainly didn't do that in Charlotte. All they knew is someone shot someone, and that was it. Second, negotiate with the powers, right? The powers that run the city. Who's at, who actually runs the city? Who are we negotiating with? Who are we talking to? What are we talking about? And not just politicians, but like people on the street. Who runs the city? Churches, gangs, whoever. Number three, self-purification. This is the most important part. And this is what I want to focus on here. You need to go through a self-purification process. And then number four is direct action. That's when you hit the streets. But only after you, get, you do the first three steps. You can't shortcut to the fourth. Because that's what you see in Charlotte and Ferguson and everywhere else is people just doing direct action and that's what it goes, it goes into violence because violence is cowardly and lazy. So when you get angry people going to the streets, it's going to turn into looting and arson and all the rest. That's cowardly and lazy. And the people who are running this movement need to nip it in the bud, get in front of it, and start doing some real MLK-inspired nonviolence movement, nonviolent protesting. And you can't do that just by being like, well, that's not who, we're not the protest. No, you have to get in front of the protesters. Right, You have to catch them at the pass before it even turns into that. So the self-purification process, I want to share this. This is James Lawson. He's now a professor at Vanderbilt, but he was the guy who ran the basically clinics for students of Martin Luther King Jr. And they would go to Nashville and sit down at lunch counters and practice getting screamed at. Right, They'd, They'd pretend they were sitting at a lunch counter and get screamed at. And, 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 and assaulted and, and grabbed and jostled and just right up in your face. And they would practice not responding, practice not getting angry, practice not uh, throwing a fist or whatever. And it was a process. 
Because, again, if violence is cowardly and lazy, then nonviolence is brave and difficult. So this is James, Law- James Lawson, uh, Reverend. He's telling the story of uh, how students practiced how they would react when someone throws uh, a weapon or a bomb at them, right? Uh, what's the proper way to respond when that happens? And during this clinic, they all talked about it and came to a conclusion about what the proper way to respond is. Seabass, uh, we're just going to go to 1101 right here, clip 1101. The same girl, Melva, said how she walked into an English class, and as she walked into that class, a bomb went whizzing by her ear and hit the wall, fell to the floor. Missed her. And she said she was trembling, but she thought to herself, what can I do? And she said she went over to the wall, uh, to the floor where the bomb had dropped. She picked it up. And then she went back in the room. I'd rather she went towards the back of the room, the boy who had thrown it, and she smiled at him as she placed it on his desk. And she said that he turned a number of different colors. She smiled at him. And that one or two of the people around, students around, saw that, and they laughed nervously. But she said that the next English class, the next day, that boy greeted her at the door and said, Good morning, Melba. And he never again was found harassing any of the nine youngsters or any of the white students who were being supportive. I share that story because you can only react that way to something like that if you've already decided what you're going to do in a moment like that. You know what I mean? You can't out of nowhere in an instant respond that powerfully. You you have to think about it beforehand before it happens and prepare for it. And if you do, then as Proverbs says, you heap hot coals on their head. And that's what Melba did right there. I love the line. Um, one of the greatest works of art in American history is MLK's letter from a Birmingham jail. Maybe one day we can share more about it, but um, there's a great line in there that talks about the church and how the church, he puts it, how does, how does he exactly word? I know the theme, but he words it something like the church was not merely a, a, a thermometer of popular opinion. The church was a thermostat that transformed society oh the, the church uh, and and uh, church here but also i'll put up just black lives matter move whoever right whoever you got you can't just be a thermometer that records the temperature right and that's what all these protests are they're like oh wow we're angry okay you're being a thermometer but what we need is a thermostat you got to be a thermostat and transform the temperature of society and we need to see a lot more of that who cares if the room's hot i get it but we need a thermostat that directs the temperature and changes it to positive action. And as we talked about earlier, not to defeat the enemy, but to 
win friendships. And you can only do that with the self-purification process, and certainly there's none of that going on with all these different protests everywhere. Slider Crusaders, thanks for being here today. You're awesome. I can't wait for Monday. We're actually going to live stream uh, a debate viewing party that I'm having on our Facebook page on Monday. But however you watch it, make sure you do. Get your friends around. It's going to be a blast. And we will report back next Saturday. Have a great weekend. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.